0: I just want to encourage you guys as as we get into the Word. You can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 2. We'll start there in just a minute. As far as Scripture. I just want to encourage you this morning. Um, This was a great morning for me standing on the stage. I get a unique perspective sometimes. Um, There's a unique perspective when you're sitting there. There's a unique perspective when you're back serving with kids. There's a unique perspective that you start to appreciate in different seasons and in different times of your life. Uh, This morning as I was standing behind the keyboard just worshiping, I cannot tell you what a blessing it was to just watch you minister to each other. Amen. I, I'm going to pick on the Aragina family just for a second because I, I shared this with Natalie earlier. So I'm sitting up here uh, behind the keyboard, and I look out, not particularly focused on anything, just focused on the Lord and kind of just scanning. I'm not really. I don't ever like. I don't want you to get nervous. <laughs> I'm looking at you. you know? oh, can't, can't worship now, but but I'm just kind of scanning and just seeing what I see, and I, I, I see uh, Miss Natalie. And I see Nick standing next to each other. There, there's probably two or three chairs in between, about how far they are now. <laughs> and they both had their scripture open. And they were both looking intently into the word to find a word for other people around them. Amen. I'm presuming. I will let you fill in the actual uh, occurrence of what was going on. That's what it looked like to me. And I was like, what a beautiful thing. Like it was, To me, it was just one snapshot of this family as indicative of what we all are. I watched Brent prophesy to people around him or pray for it, whatever, whatever the case was. I watched the Browns lay hands on people and pray for them. I watched, I watched it across, and if I didn't call you out, it's okay. You're an adult. We're good. Uh, I saw different things going on in a way that was very, very encouraging. I saw people personally reaching out to the Lord. I love that this is our home. Amen. I love my church. Amen. Amen. I don't think you understand I love my church. I really do. I love seeing the youth praying for each other. I mean, I'm telling you that this is is something special. In a season of whatever transition is, wherever you may be in your life, can I encourage you that you don't miss what you have before you? Don't miss what God has literally put around you, about you, in my case, in spite of you, you know, whatever it may be. Don't miss what God is doing here in our midst. Because if you let it, the world would just continually beat you down and you're in the midst of somewhat of a paradise. What are you talking about? Well, we're not talking about a physical building. We're talking about people who actually love the Lord for real. Who actually give of themselves to each, for each other. Who actually prefer one another more than we prefer ourselves. That's a unique, very precious thing. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen anywhere because God's church, this is the way God's church operates. Across the United States, across the world, this is what church is, and we get to be a part of something that really has God's spirit, the lampstand of his presence here in our midst. So even before I get into scripture, let's not go past that too quickly. Let's not go past it as we're in the struggle of the tension, Uh, Pastor Eric preached months ago about the tension, right, between what God has promised and what's happening now, between the, it's still yet to come, but it's already been promised to us. Eliana is an example of what is still yet to come and what has been promised to us. Amen. He said it. Every day we wake up in my household and we pray for you. Amen. Every day. I don't ever want to stop beating the arrows against the ground. Yeah. I don't want to get, stop at three. Yeah. What are you doing? We've got the promise, but I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Amen. I can't wait to see it materialize. I'm going to keep praying until every single cell in her body is in the natural realm healed. It's already done in the spiritual realm. But in the process of that, I don't want to lose heart. If I'm them, I, I, by the way, my admiration for you guys just continues to grow. Yeah, you're amazing. amazing people. If I were in a situation like that, it would be easy for me to think that I would just get tired. How many times do I have to plug in a machine? How difficult do we have to do this feeding? And yet there's something that's encouraging about the body coming together. Don't let them get tired. Don't let them get worn out. Why? Because that's what we do as a body. Jesus says that my burden is easy and what? My yoke is? So if you're feeling burdened today, if you're feeling that the struggles are too much today, can I encourage you that that's what the body's for? That's why we pray so fervently that we get a word for each other. That's why we pray so fervently that worship is always... ...at a level where you can enter the very throne room of, of grace in a time of need. That's why we do what we do, not to be anything other than exactly what the scripture tells us... ...because we've decided as a church that if we do it the scriptural way, that's got to be the best way that it can be done. Amen. I'm going to presume that the Holy Spirit does not actually need my help. I'm going to presume that the way Jesus said it is actually the way that it's supposed to work. Amen. Um, I, I've, already, I've already talked to my, my kids today. I was, I was going to share a couple of examples... Um, There was a period, not recently, but there was a period where my kids would kind of, maybe not question my instructions to them, but have a lot of concern. (laughs) Perhaps, Dad, we could do it this way. And my response to them, and it was, was, I was trying not to be harsh, but I was also trying to teach them things on multiple levels. Why don't we just start with the presumption that Dad actually knows what he's talking about? (laughs) Let's just start there. And any other things that you'd like to contribute, once that's established, you're welcome to contribute. (laughs) But let's start with the fact that dad may have more than just the immediate in mind. He might have other factors that he's considering. While your answer and while your input is very valid, it does not consider all the things that your father is considering. You are looking at it from a very limited point of view. How about you let me help you? I don't need you to understand. I just need you to trust me. What a good example what a terrible job I do sometimes to the heavenly Father of the very same thing. He tells me something, and sometimes I think I need to help God. He said this. <laughs> well, if he said this, then if I do this, it'd be even better. I'm just going to help him out. I'm just going to add a little Tony Shashri's on top. <laughs> just going to make it good. I don't know why I'm talking like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Got all excited. Started thinking about Tony Shashri's. You know, for those of you who don't know or from little spicy. Okay, whatever. Uh, well, you know, manna was made of just a big ball of Tony's. Um, but if you consider how many times we actually try to help the Lord, most of the difficulties in my life, when, on the times that I do actually hear from him, and the times that I do get that part right, I mess it up more often than not because I try to help him, aid him, strengthen him, revise it for him, try to outthink him instead of just walking in the steps that he has. I'm a planner. I like planning. It makes me happy. I like checking things off a list. I get like a really weird ha. Ah. Sometimes if I haven't already had it in the list, look at all the heads nodding. That's crazy. Sometimes if I ha- if I didn't make my list well, I'll add it to the list and then scratch it right off. Okay. If you know what I'm talking about, then you really know what I'm talking about, right? Y'all like some of y'all are like you're crazy. Yes, yes I am. I like planning, and you know what God tends to do with me? Make me walk by faith. He just kind of he kind of tends to make me do that. Hey, you know that five-year plan that you had for your life? <laughs> That's the what an eloquent speaker I am. <laughs> that was. You're welcome. Um, My plans that I had, I thought at one point that I might teach in college. Teach music in college. That That was a joy that I had was teaching music back in the day and I enjoyed it so much that I thought I started making my plans and going, well, Lord, you've given me favor here. I could see if your grace was with me how I can move on to the next level and teach. And that was absolutely not what God had in mind for me. I even went and visited... A small college in Mississippi. I actually drove there one Saturday because they had a football game going on and I had some former students who were there and they had played. They were in my band and as and, a and high school that I was teaching and they went on to play in college so I actually went and visited them. And I sat in on a rehearsal and I did some things and I was like, I, I could do this. I, I so could do this. I know that I can do this. This is not Will I have to grow? Of course, but I can do this right now. I can walk in and do this. And I knew that I was driving back. God was like, "What are you doing?" I'm checking things out, Jesus. Do you trust me or not? And after that one day that I drove to, I drove to Mississippi College, a Division Three. I don't even know if it's still. A, I don't even know if they still haven't div- divided that. It was a Division Three college. I was like, I could teach these homeboys right now. Like, I can do this. And I had to kind of work my way around going, okay, God, what is it that you have for, for my life? I think you've got a call on me, but I don't really know what that means. I thought I was going to be a pastor. Felt like I was called around the time I was 17. We were at Youth for the Nations in Dallas, Texas, at Christ for the Nations Institute. We were at a summer camp, and ministers at the summer camp laid hands on me and prophesied that God had his hand on my life. I was ready to drop my scholarship to college and go do that. And that was not at all what God had planned for me. I spent the next 15 years or so. Actually, it was probably longer than that. Teaching, working on that craft, and finding out what God had for me. But see, the thing I had to do was I had to die to self a lot more than I considered. I had to realize that him having me be a school teacher was my calling. When I embraced that, I got to move on to the next step. When I fully embraced it in my heart and said, I am a teacher, I will treat this like this is my youth group, I will love these kids, I will pray with them, I will live and breathe and die for them, it allowed God to do different things in my life because he saw that my heart was right before him. I didn't want to become an assistant principal. That's not what I was looking, I wasn't looking to climb a ladder. I thought that I would probably keep teaching went got a master's degree in music education so I could keep teaching music. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, why did you have me do that again? Oh, because you were working things out of my heart. What a joy. Can I tell you how much I don't use my master's in music education? <laughs> don't use it hardly at all. I reminisce about it. Helped Timothy the other day with the trombone. I was like, oh, I like teaching. I forgot. <laughs> He's a good trombone player, by the way. You ought, to hear, you ought to hear him play. It was really good. So I was like, hey, man, kind of uh, scratched an itch there when I got to do that. I was like, oh, yeah, I used to like doing that. I forgot. <laughs> Let me just encourage you today that I thank God um, what I hope that today is over the next few minutes that we're together. Um, everybody just taking a deep breath. Let it out. Take in another deep breath. Let it out. I hope that today is that for you. Just, I hope that you feel relaxed and light. I hope that you feel encouraged in your call. I hope that you feel rejuvenated in your spirit. That when we get done today, we're going we're to let God do what he's going to do in our lives. But can I encourage you? Let me uh, A little teaching technique that, they, that that a lot of teachers do is I'm going to tell you what I'm about to tell you. And then I'm going to tell it to you. And then I'm going to tell you what I just told you. That's, that's teaching, right? <laughs> tell it, brother. Tell it. That really is. Sometimes it's not that advanced, right? It's the repetition that helps a lot of times. Um, One of the things that I want you to get from today is you don't have to struggle in your own heart to end up getting where God wants you to get. Is there a struggle in the path? Of course there is. But I'm, I'm talking about inside of you. If you will just trust that he has you where he needs you, if you're just obedient, he will put you where you need to be. If you don't worry, if you quit worrying about the timeline, what, what a fictitious thing, anyway, right? Yes. I'm gonna put on myself a six month plan and get stressed out when my six month plan doesn't work out. That's stupid. And I can say that because I've done it so many times. God, you haven't done it in six months. Um, God wasn't the one that put the six month timer on there. I put the egg timer, it's go, it, and it's ticking. And I'm getting stressful because it keeps ticking, and now it's ticking faster, and it's about to go off. I put the pressure on myself. There was no pressure there. There was none. And I put it on myself because, well, God, I'm about to hit a certain age. Well, God, I'm about to graduate from college. Well, God, I'm about to have kids. Well, God, I'm about to do this. I'm about to do that. And I have all these pressures that mount up, that get me all tied up in knots, that discourage me to no end. All the time God is just with me. He's wanting, I'm so worried, let me me say it a different way. I'm so worried about what I'm trying to do, and all he's worried about is trying to be. Do you know why he called the 12 to be with to you know why he called the 12 that he did? To be with him. Yes, there are 12 thrones, and they're going to judge 12 tribes, and we learned that and we went over that in our class. But before he lists the 12, he says, I called them because I wanted them to be with me. If we can all just be encouraged in that, I am 40 years old now. And by many standards, maybe I've accomplished some things. And if you measure me by a different set of standards, I've been a complete failure. Sure I have. If I measure myself by the certain standards that I had when I thought when I was called, about the timeline that this fictitious timeline that I put on myself, I can't tell you how many times I've failed on the goals that I've put on myself. I can't tell you what a poor job I do at all that. And yet I'm trying to get to a better place in my life where I'm going, God, what is it that you want? Oh, you're always more concerned with who I am than what I'm doing. You can take care of what I'm doing. Moses didn't really start his ministry until he was 80. You know, I've got some time. I'm all right. (laughs) Once you put a Bible timeline on your life? I'm 40. I'm maybe just kind of almost not quite getting ready to be able to start ministry one day. Oh, just takes the pressure off. Some of us are putting pressure on ourselves in here. Some of us are walking paths, and these are fictitious and imaginary glass ceilings that we put on ourselves. It's not something that God put on you. It's not a timeline that God wants you to have. You've put it on yourself, and now you're killing yourself trying to make it or you're feeling super discouraged because it's not happening. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Yes. Are you tracking with me? Yes. Okay, well, that was the introduction, so here we go. Um, 2 Samuel, chapter 2. <coughs> so I have spent a long time in my life trying to serve other people's vision. I've spent a long time in my life doing that. Uh, sometimes it was very bad. And I think there's some lessons that I've learned that actually make that a good thing. Because ultimately, um, as the head of your house, you should be be leading your home. Um, Many of you are called to ministry, a fivefold ministry. You're going to have to be leading other people and leading God's people. Leading his sheep. Ezekiel 34 has been messing with me a lot lately. Because it shows how the priest and the, the priesthood, the shepherds of Israel, didn't do it right. And God says, I'm going to do it then. Wow. And what he says about what he's going to do. Uh, Ezekiel 34, 1 through 6 kind of gives you the bad view. No, it's verse 4 that starts talking about, hey, this is going to be... Why don't you go ahead and put it up on the screen? Sorry. Uh, we'll get to Second Samuel in just a second. Ezekiel chapter 34, started in verse 4. It says, you have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured... You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. And you could stay there. You guys could read more of it. So, what I've done lately is this is the scripture that's been that I mull over a lot. And this is a negative version of it, but it tells me what I am supposed to do. This is my checklist, by the way. If you want to, for all you checklist people, here's a good checklist. If you're called in the fivefold, this is what our job is. This is my job because I'm knowing that I'm called to be a pastor. I'm supposed to strengthen the weak. I'm supposed to heal the sick. Bind up the injured. Bring back the strays and search for the lost. Pretty simple checklist, huh? It'll take me the rest of my life to scratch the surface on that. But this is what we're supposed to be doing. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what your pastors are supposed to be doing for you. This is what we strive towards, is this. So ultimately, though, we're all... Really serving somebody else 's vision whether i 'm going to serve my brother 's vision or whether i 'm going to ultimately find out jesus 's vision and just serve his, sometimes we get so worried about our calling that I think we miss the bigger picture. How do I fit in what well, God what are you calling me to do? and I think we become so myopic that we can 't hear what he 's saying. Um, the old analogy of a house a house of mirrors what 's the deal of a house of mirrors in a carnival? you know you walk in and one of them makes you seven foot tall and and one foot wide, and you literally walk a foot to the left or to the right, and now you're three feet tall and four feet wide. You're like, I'm going to go back to this way. (laughs) But what's the truth? truth is I haven't changed at all. I am what I am, and my perspective is weird, depending on what's around me. Sometimes we're trying to find our calling. We're trying to find the vision for our lives, but we're looking through a worldly standard, and we're getting... Or maybe I should, okay, I'm kind of tall and I'm kind of, uh, and you're putting all these false standards against yourself. So in 2 Samuel chapter 2, we find, um, while we're trying to find our vision, let me encourage you, um, we're going to talk about Joab just for a second. Joab was, to me, uh, he is a very interesting Bible character. Yeah. He is an incredibly interesting dude, right? So he's there, and at times he is spot on. He's a leader in David's army, basically a general. Take him out there. Sometimes he is completely spot on and sometimes he is almost as far away from David as you can get. Take a look at 2 Samuel chapter 2 and let's start in verse uh, 14. Then Abner said to Joab, have some of the young men get up and fight hand to hand in front of us. All right, let them do it, Joab said. So they stood up and were counting off 12 men for Benjamin and Ishbosheth son of Saul, and 12 for David. Then each man grabbed his opponent by the head, kind of back of the neck thing, and thrust his dagger into his opponent's side, and they fell down together. Okay, so uh, you can think, depending on where you read, you can think either like a uh, David and Goliath, who will go fight for us, kind of this representative. The way it's worded here, it almost sounds like it's just, well, let them play around. I think they were having 12 on 12 versus killing everyone. You're going to come up behind somebody. <laughs> I'm just I, very visual in my thoughts. Grab somebody. They all kind of grab each other by the neck and. Thunk. All 24 of them. They pair off. Thunk. Wow. It's kind of an interesting perspective. Then it goes on and says this. Verse 17 the battle. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Then each man grabbed his opponent by the head and thrust his dagger into the opponent's side, and they fell down together. So that place in Gibeon was called Helkiath Hazarim. The battle that day was very fierce, and Abner and the men of Israel were defeated by David's men. The three sons of Zariah were there, Joab, Abishai, and Ashael. And Ashael was a fleet-footed as a wild gazelle. <laughs> Dude was fast. He chased Abner, turning neither to the right nor to the left as he pursued him. So somehow, this turns into a foot race. Abner's out in front. Abishael is gaining on him. Just locked in. Abner looked behind him and said, is that you, Abishael? Hey, it is, he answered. I love this conversation. They're, in my mind, they're still running. Yeah. Hey, is that you? Yep, right behind you, <laughs> right? About, about, to, about to have a battle here. He said, turn aside to the right or the left. <laughs> Take on one of the young men and strip him of his weapons. Like, why don't you go fight somebody else? Yeah. But Ishael would not stop chasing him. Again, Abner warned Ishael, stop chasing me. Why should I strike you down? How could I look at your brother Joab in the face? But Ishael refused to give up the pursuit, so Abner thrust the butt of his spear into Ishael's stomach, and the spear came out through his back. Ew. He fell there and died on the spot. And every man stopped when he came to the place where Sheel had fallen and died. Kind of an interesting scene, right? They're running along. Please don't make me kill you. I'm after you. Please, would you stop? Turn away. I'm going to have to kill you, and then I'm going to have to look at your brother after I killed you. Doesn't stop. Does he, uh, Abner did exactly what he said he was going to do. But Joab and Abishai pursued Abner. And as the sun was setting, they came to the hill of Amnah near uh, Gaia on the way to the wasteland of Gibeon. Verse 25, then the men of Benjamin rallied behind Abner. They formed themselves into a group and took their stand on top of a hill. Verse 26, Abner called out to Joab, must the sword devour forever? Don't you realize that this will end in bitterness? How long before you order your men to stop pursuing their brothers? Joab answered, as surely as God lives, if you had not spoken, the men would have continued the pursuit of their brothers until morning. So Joab calls it off. My presumption is is Joab didn't know that he killed his brother yet. I can't imagine that Joab would have let that go. So it's kind of weird. We're seeing it and we're like, well, clearly he must have known. My, my take on it is he didn't know that information. And goes, yeah, you're right. Let's go ahead and stop the fight. Um, take a look at chapter 3, and verse, starting in verse 22. And this is why I presume what I did about chapter 2. Just then David's man and Joab returned from a raid and brought with them a great deal of plunder but abner was no longer with david in hebron because david had sent him away and he had gone in peace when joab and all the soldiers with him arrived he was told he joab was told that abner son of ner had come to the king and that the king had sent him away and that he had gone away in peace so my presumption is at this point joab now knows what happened he understands what happened to his brother so joab went to the king and said what have you done Going to the king and saying, what have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why did you let him go? Now he is gone. You know Abner, son of Ner. He came to deceive you and observe your movements and find out everything you are doing. Joab then left David and sent messengers after Abner. And they brought him back from the well of Sarai. But David did not know it. So Joab is acting completely independently here with his own selfish motivation. Now when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gateway as though to speak with him privately. Hey man, let's talk. And there to avenge the blood of his brother, Ashiel, Joab stabbed him in the stomach and he died. The story goes on, David openly mourns and says, this is not, I had no part of this, this was not my call, I did not do this, this was a great man that we've just murdered. And, Because of his humility, it actually caused the people of Israel to go, oh yeah, we want to follow that guy even more. Like that was a mistake that went on. Now you go through and Joab tells good things to to David. Joab was the one that says, hey David, let's not count our fighting men. Far be it from us to, like God can just multiply the fighting men. Let's not count them. And David went ahead and counted them. Okay, so there, there are these things that Joab did. But what I wanted to bring this up is, is Joab... What I, is what I call, he had a parallel vision to David. Parallel. At times, it really, really works, and at times, they would get divergent and then kind of come back, but they were never unified in their vision. They were never unified in their purpose as seen by this. And then and I think it's in 1 Kings 2 that it actually gives you kind of the end of, of Joab's life. They're about to tra- David's about to transition to Solomon, and he's like, hey, by the way... Um, you need to go ahead and handle up on that guy. This probably should have been taken care of years ago, but we've just kind of let it go because he does have a lot of good things involved, and I just let it go. But you need to let his gray hair, gray head go down to the grave in peace. And so one of Solomon's first thing he does is Joab. That's when Joab was literally holding on to the horns of the altar, right? So that's that story. This is the same character, just trying to kind of piece it through. What happens sometimes is that we can have parallel visions to what's going on, right? If you think about it, parallel vision really means two visions, which really means (laughs) division, right? There's division there when you're running. You can even be parallel. If you're opposite to the vision, well, clearly you see that's division. I want to encourage us here at this church that we need to have Not just parallel visions to what God is doing, but a unified vision. God has the vision, and he gives you your part. For you to think all along that it's just your vision, I think you miss out on really what's going on there. I think you have some very Americanized way of thinking. God, you are at work here. Perhaps you allow me to be a part of your plan. Please show me how I can be a part of your plan. We think that we're the keepers of the plan sometimes. We think that we can set the dates on things and it'd be okay. We think that our, our culture, not necessarily this church, our culture thinks that we get to choose the church we want to be in. Yeah. We can shop around, and if it doesn't have the right kids' ministry, then we go to another one that we like the kids' ministry. If it doesn't have the style of music that we like, we go pick one as if we were shopping for cantaloupe. You know, I don't like that one. I'm going to put it back, and I'm going to grab another one. Um, the, way that, the way that we try to live our lives here at this church is we're going to go, we're going to presume that God has it. And any errors and any frustrations in timing, we're going to presume that that's my fault, not his. I'm going to presume that God has something incredible for us and that we're getting to be a part, whatever the part is. Amen. Whether I'm a doorkeeper in the house of God or whatever it may be, I'm not going to try to measure myself by my own standards. I'm going to let God's word and his vision determine what I am and who I am the principle of one life changed is that principle. One life, one family, one nation. Yes. But if we get to the one nation part, I'm entering the church and we're kind of, we've got all three of these going on. But if I forget the one life, if you forget the one life, because we're trying to get to the nation, then you it, it, this doesn't work that way. We need to be Completely content with what God has called us. You know why we're usually not content with what God has called us to do? It's Because we've come up with our own vision. We've come up with our own timing and we're just not happy with it. Um, one of the examples uh, recently in my life over the past few years has been <clears throat> one of the best things for me was that, and I've shared this before, but I want to put it in the context of this. One of the best things for me was to be a kid's pastor, a children's pastor for years. And if I could be perfectly honest with you, I didn't feel at all like I was called to be a kid's pastor. But I decided, probably reluctantly, at first it was reluctant. Okay, God, I'll do what you put in front of me. I'll presume that you spoke this, and I know that you have. I was throwing a fit on the inside. But God, I think you've called me to more. More more What? Go ahead and finish that thought out. More what? More prestige. More recognition. Because I know if I serve in kids, no one will even know I'm there. (laughs) Oh. If I'm not on the stage, then, oh. That was the best place for me. I felt like I was tending sheep out on the backside of nowhere. (laughs) At a ginormous church. I'd see 600 kids every weekend. 600. And you know what I wanted to do in my own mind and heart? Is I wanted to downplay what God had me doing. Because it wasn't matching what I thought. So I wanted to throw my little temper tantrum on the inside. And on the outside, I said all the right stuff. Praise God, I'm going to serve with all my heart. And I despised some of what I was doing. I'm going to do exactly what God tells me to do, no matter what. I really don't like what you told me to do. Can you rescind that order, please? They need a better kids pastor. I'm not even so. I developed a line of thinking in my own thought was, well, I'm not even a very good kids pastor. Lord, these kids need someone who's better for them. Yeah, except for the fact that he told me to do that. He, he opened the door and told me to do it, and I did it. And so I'm trying, to, I'm trying to fend away all the things. Well, it would be that God, they need somebody who can, you know, eat gummy bears and dream about goldfish, you know. I mean, I had all these things in my head that I worked through. And the truth is, is that was the best place for me because it made me, it gave me an opportunity to see if I was really serving the Lord just because he asked me to see if I would ever go wherever he wanted me to go. When you teach five-year-olds regularly, Yeah, she she loved it. I was like, amen. (laughs) And what I realized was that God was developing things in me that I needed. God was testing my heart and saying, will you go serve, and will you just take care of the sheep? Will you give your life for these sheep? Will you give your life for the adults who are working with the kids? Hello, goof. you got adults working with the kids. Why don't you pastor them? Oh, why don't you pastor this flock that I put you on? Why, why are you still looking for another flock? Why are you looking for something else to make you happy? Aren't you where you're supposed to be? Yes, sir, I am. Well, then do what you're supposed to do. Amen. I got a good corrective word in my heart, like almost like this, and this is not the way God said it to me, but the outcome was, shut up, do what I told you to do, quit your whining, and work on your heart. I'm going to go ahead and shut up now because I had a parallel vision of what God's vision for my life was. I was a Joab to God's own plan in my life. Lord, forgive me. What I want to be is somebody like a Ruth who says, I see that and I will join in with that. Forget about where I came from. Forget about what I was called to do. Forget about who I am. Forget about my own provision. I'm going to be here. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. I'm not leaving. Only death will separate us. And the Bible says when Naomi saw that, When she realized, wow, this kid's serious, she allowed her to come. And what did that honoring nature in Ruth produce? It gave her a place to be. Boaz said, hey, stay in my field. It gave her provision. Hey, guys, leave some grain. Leave some stalks for her. Don't you speak harshly to her. It protected her. God himself, the picture of Boaz here, was protecting her. Because she decided that the vision, her vision didn't even matter. Can you imagine that Ruth had some plans for her life? Her husband and her father-in-law had died. They're in a famine. You know what she did? She just shut up. She got to work in the field and outworked most of the people around her and made a name for herself by her effort, by her servant's heart, by what she did. She just put her hand to the plow and did it. She just gathered the grain and then... She got covered. She went up to Boaz and, and, you know, Naomi helped and went up to Boaz and got under the corner of his prayer cloth, right? She was covered. She had provision. She had everything she needed. She had grace that was added to her life. And she ended up being royalty. She was literally in the line of Christ because she did these things. Why? Because she decided that her own vision didn't really matter in the long run. She let her own vision die. She just let it die and went, if it dies, it dies. If I'm nothing in the world's eyes, then I'm nothing. It's fine, I'm nothing anyway. I am only what he has given to me. How can I pretend like I did anything? I am only what he's done in my life. I own nothing on my own. Why am I going to fight for something that I can't do anyway? instead of just going god i'm just going to die i'm just going to die i'm going to die to what i want to do i'm going to die to people recognizing me for me that was huge i want people to recognize me i got to admit i want i wanted people to like me i wanted people to acknowledge that i was something that god had done something in my life and i was like i was always struggling for that straight a nerd boy multiple college degrees, and still going, I've got something at lack in me. And I've got to have other people. I've got this itch that I can't quite get to. Nick, can you come? Hey, Chloe, can you scratch it? But the scratch was, please affirm me. Please tell me that I'm worth something. In my own spirit. And all the success in the world can't undo that if you're going to just keep fighting for your own vision. If you're going to keep fighting for your own timing, then you miss God's vision. You miss the provision. You miss the place to be. You miss the grace. You miss the covering. You miss the royalty that can be there because you're too busy fighting for your own thing. Stop fighting for your own thing. I almost feel weird saying this to a group like this because I I so honor and I so appreciate you guys and there are so many people who are of excellent character and godliness. But I'm going to presume if God laid it on my heart this much, then it's something that you need. Yes. Beyond what we say, beyond how we look, beyond how we can smile and hug and shake and prophesy and witness and see people born again and filled with the Spirit, all those things are great. That is really great. Please continue. And make sure that you're not fighting for your own vision. Make sure that you're not fighting for your own time on this thing. But God, I've been doing this for so long now. Yep. Yes. That's not my job to change that or to do that. I know in my life, when I was in that position as kids pastor, I said, Lord, I'll stay here. I got to the point. This wasn't day one. This took a while. I was like, Lord, I'll stay here and do this as long as you want. I will stay here and do this for the rest of my life. Trusting that you'll do whatever you need to do. I will do this for the rest of my life if that's what you require of me. I'll stay out here in the back. I'll do what I need to do. I will serve in complete anonymity if that's what pleases you. I'll do it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I fought for what I wanted for so long. I'm sorry. And you know what? Um... In the spiritual realm, something happened. But can I tell you, in the natural realm, nothing happened. (laughs) All right, keep serving. I was hoping that when I had this epiphany, (laughs) you would swoop in and save me right then. I actually went through another year. After the two years of being a kids pastor, I went through another year where I thought, I only thought before the last year that I was there that, that I was serving and on the backside and being as humble and out of sight as I could, the last year, I might as well have been invisible. It was the funniest thing. I was like, I was like, I'm, I'm still here. Okay, somebody was, I was on staff and I was like, I'm still here and I'm completely forgotten about And God spoke to me enough that I went, this is you. This is you. You are literally hiding me. It's as if you turned off the light and there's like I'm standing in a shadow. It's as if you took me and pulled, like a little kid, you'll pull them right behind your leg and their kid is standing behind, little Luke is standing behind Brent. You're not going to see him. Not really. You might see a little head poke out every once in a while, but you're not going to see him. You see the father. And I knew that that's what God was doing. Just be quiet. Can you serve in anonymity? Can you serve? I had people that came up and prophesied and they were like, Yay! And the Lord would say to you, "That you're You are just serving anonymity." Can you give me a better word? Can I replace that for a better word? I know that's really sacrilegious, I guess, but I've I've done. Yes, Lord. I've gotten words before. I'm like, thank you, Lord, for your word. I had to take it from a spiritual place. Get prophecies. Yay! Turmoil and change. Come on, man. Everybody else is getting something nice. They're all getting to like, yay, we love you. Jesus, love showers and blessing. For you, Sutherland, change and turmoil, brother. Get ready. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. And it's exactly what I needed. It's exactly what I needed. I didn't need the other, I wanted the other. That's not at all what I needed. If I hadn't done that, I know that I could not have been here and serve you guys. I would be so lacking in my own character. And I'm not saying I was being sinful before. But I needed a whole other level of maturity. I needed to go serve out in the backside of nowhere for years. I'm glad it was only three or four. That was awful nice of him. It could have required 20 or 30. And you know what? Been worth it. It'd be worth it. We say and we know it's worth it, but we're in the struggle. It doesn't always feel like it's worth it. It doesn't always feel like that he really knows this is when it comes in where we want to help him. Maybe I'll put my resume out there. Maybe I'll start talking to the right people to see if I can get the right job. Maybe I'll start looking over here at another church because maybe they'll recognize my value a little bit more. Maybe I'll do this over here. Maybe I'll just decide to do something on my own. I, had a, I started a group of ministers at the, at the last church I was at. And I tried to start a group amongst the staff. And I called it Iron Sharpens Iron. it's great. And nobody came. <laughs> Let's get together as men of God. Let's read the word together and sharpen each other. It was awesome. And I was all by myself. And then... Somebody found out about it, other people, and I wasn't hiding it. And they said, Stop doing that. I was like, Okay. Because I realized I knew it when they said, You need to stop doing that. And I went, You're completely right. Because you know what I was doing? I was trying to help God. I was in this anonymity place. And so I thought, Maybe I'll just go do something. Maybe we'll just start this. Maybe we'll just do this. And God was saying, Would you stop? Would you stop? I didn't get mad. They were completely right. I don't want you to hear that they were wrong in trying to stop a move of God. No, oh, it was just me. It was a move of Wade. They stopped a move of Wade, and they are, that was a good idea on their part. Any moves of Wade need to be stopped most of the time. <clears throat> when you're fighting to get in the real vision of God, it does a few things. It forms things in you. I know we all are wonderfully gifted and talented, and yet these times help form things in you. It comes at a great cost because of the death of your own vision. How do you know if your vision's dead? You don't mind it if God changes your direction. You're not looking for the next thing. If you're looking for next, if you're in here today and you're looking for next, instead of being enjoying the now, then you may not have died completely to your vision. I know we, we can be in times where we're, we're wondering, Lord, we do need your vision. We're trying to figure it out. I'm saying if in your heart you're unsettled and you're trying to find the next and trying to figure out where, where to go and what to do and uh instead of just being, then it may be that you haven't quite fully died to your vision yet. It may be that there are parts of your vision that are still more than on life support and need to be changed and need to be put out. Finding God's vision helps refine us. It helps us work through our selfish ambition. I'm 40 years old. I still have selfish ambition. I try not to. I really work hard at not doing that. I really work hard at dying to self. And this is the it's promised and the not yet tension. I'm not always there. Sometimes it's more there than I want to give it credit for. But I've learned these kind of metrics in my own life to go, wow, somebody asked me to do something and it really bothered me on the inside, maybe I'm not dead to my own vision. Maybe I've got more selfish ambition in there than I thought. And we're good at justifying. We're adults. That's, that was the one benefit of working with kids is they weren't very good at justifying themselves yet. Their arguments were very thin and shallow and you could you know, just crush it. I mean, not that I was trying to crush kids. I'm not saying. There are arguments here. Adults, we get very good at justifying what we want to do. The truth is, is we all do exactly what we want to do. If you want to complain, you'll complain and you'll wrap it in. I'm just sharing a prayer request with you. If you want to have a selfish ambition, you will have your selfish ambition and we get to be experts at wrapping it in whatever we wrap it in. This is too good of a church for us to wrap it in anything other than the Spirit of God. This is too good of a church for us to have our own uh, competing self-ambitions. It's too good of a place. There's too much of what God's doing in our midst for any of us to do that. Like I said, my standard is Ezekiel 34 right now. This is something I just want to strengthen. I just want to bind up. I just want to go search for the lost. I want to bring... Like, that's, what, that's, all, that, that's all that we're trying to do as a church is to see you be exactly what God has for you to be. We're just trying to strengthen you. We're trying to equip the body so that you can go out and do the works of service. We'll go do it together. Yeah. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> One of the words that I looked up um, when, I looked, when I was talking about this and I, I was thinking about it from a place of honor. Um, Old Testament says, and it's the Old Testament Strong's number 3519, talks about the kabod, the weightiness. When you look at honor, when you look at the word glory, if you have a King James or New King James, it's usually glory. When you get an NIV, it's usually they'll translate it as honor. Proverbs chapter fifteen, verse thirty-three. You can go ahead and put it up on the screen. <clears throat> it says this: "The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Humility comes before the kabod, the glory. The Old Testament word is kabod, and it it, it always indicates the weightiness." i'm going to give honor to someone if i give honor to pastor eric i'm trying to say that there's a weightiness to his place in my life that's all i'm not trying to exalt i'm just trying to recognize a weightiness that's there uh, the new testament word is it's at a, it's a 5091 or something like that it's temeo talking about adding value or reverence to something i thought of the word uh, i thought of the story of blind bartimaeus Son of Timaeus. That word is actually a a derivative of this word. It's like, huh, look at that, Jesus. You took someone who was the son of reverence or the son of glory and you did something glorious in his life. It's it's just, it's incredible as you're going through these things. Psalms 3.3, that God is the glory. He's the kabod and the lifter of my head. Some of us in here just need to lift up our heads. Quit fighting with the timeline. Quit fighting with what's going on and lift your head. Amen. He is your glory and the lifter of your head. He is the honor that you've been seeking. He is what you're after. If you've been after recognition, He is the glory and the lifter of your head. <laughs> Psalms 96.8. We're to give Him the glory that's due His name. Psalms 96.8. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and t- come into His courts. Take a look at Mark chapter uh, 7. I think it is. Are y'all with me? Yes. Is this making any sense to you? Yes. Okay, hope so. Makes sense to me, but that doesn't always mean anything. (laughs) Mark chapter 7. Say there when you're there. Let's start in verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law had come from Jerusalem, who had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus, and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. Uh-oh. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they... I love it. They give you a little history lesson right here in the middle. In case you didn't know, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they uh, give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders. Oh, excellent. Um, And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. I love that. Took a little teaching break right in the middle. (laughs) Verse 5. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? They're basically asking, why are you following this vision, this plan that's different than what we are considering? Verse 6, he replied, Isaiah was right. Love how we always get to the heart of the matter with Jesus. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, that is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. By the way, just a good thought for us as believers, if you ever read a scripture and you ever pass it up as that was them and not, Lord, please show me if this is me then you miss a whole lot of what the scripture has to say to you. Yes, he's speaking to a particular group of people. Yes. And when I read things like, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from it. You know what it always makes me do? It gives me a check. I go, Lord, may I not ever pass up an opportunity to see if my heart is actually right before you or if I'm only, lip, I'm only giving you lip service. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Traditions of men instead of the power of God. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. Lord, help us. Don't you know people like this? Let me ask a better question to you. Have you been people like this? I have. Of course I've, I have. I've held on to traditions more than the actual word of God. The teachings of men instead of so the teachings of God. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting, setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. Wow. I looked over at the youth just to check, see what their response was. <laughs> but you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me, it is Corbin, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. In other words, God said one thing, and they were giving them an out to do exactly what God had said. Um, uh, One of the things I love about the leadership here at this church is we really try to do our best to never give you an excuse not to do exactly what God's telling you to do. If we do that, that is our mistake. That is not what we're trying to do. You never get to get off the hook from being godly. There's not a day we get to get off. There's not a Sabbath that you take from doing God's will. <laughs> that is not the Sabbath that we need to take. Sabbath is resting from our labor so that we can focus on him. There's never a Sabbath from doing what God has instructed us to do. There's never a Sabbath from us being with him. There's never a rest or a break that we need from actually fulfilling God's purpose in our life. There's not a break that you need for that. Ever. You don't get a day off. Ever. Amen? Amen? Then you know, verse 12, then you no longer let him do anything for his father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. We need to to check our own hearts. We need to check our own lives about these things. Um, I think within this room there are people who would literally touch the nations. That is the potential that is here. You know how we reach the potential? Is we exercise exactly what God has told us to do. Every day, with every fiber that we have, never stopping. When we mess up, we repent. Should he let us? <laughs> we, we try to make it right if we can. There are some things that once we've missed it, we've missed it. I, I'm sorry to tell you that. We like to think that everything is reconcilable. Sometimes when you miss God's will, you miss it. Sometimes if you don't respond to him today, when he's talking to you today, it might be a long time or maybe never if he gives it to you that again how important it is for us to follow the word of God each and every day. Turn to Malachi chapter 1 and then we'll close here. Malachi, last book in the Old Testament. Chapter 1. I want us to be people who are who have been solidified in our calling. Solidified. We don't no longer fight about what we can do, not even what we should do, but we worry about what we're designed to do. Uh, my starting of that group amongst the staff was me trying to do something that I can do. And I considered maybe even I should do it. It was not at all. It was me trying to put my hand to it. It was me trying to do things what we are designed to do, that's when you know that you're really walking in this thing because you're just being who you're supposed to be. You know what I'm really good at? Being me. (laughs) I don't have to try to be me. I just am, right? I don't have to try to do the things that I would do. I just relax and just do them. You ever seen somebody who's not really who they are? Isn't that the most awkward thing? They're worried about how you're going to respond. They're worried about what it looks like, what it feels, and there's this awkwardness that it makes you feel awkward because they're awkward. Maybe y'all don't know what I'm talking about. We do. Uh, you get around people and they're like, you know, oh, you're, a... when I was a principal, people would respond, some people would respond differently to me. When they find out I'm a pastor, people would start being weird and being like they were just cussing and now they're going to try to tell you how much they go to church. That's just weird. I'm like, I'd rather you actually cuss. I'd rather you just be who you are because I can live with that and we can be honest and deal with it instead of, well, uh, so, yeah, church is good. Amen, brother. You know, you're like, what? That's not who you are, right? Be who you are. Um, Malachi chapter 1. Because when we're not, it shows us and it shows up in a passage like this Malachi 1 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where's the honor due me? If I am due, if I am a master, where's the respect due me? says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. Who is he talking to? What specific group is named here? Priests. Hmm. You show contempt for my name. But you ask how have we shown contempt for your name? A little trick that I learned when I was a principal if I asked a kid a question and they repeated the question back to me, most of the time they knew that they were wrong. What did you do yesterday at (laughs) 3.04? What did I do yesterday? um, At 3.04? Busted. I had him. I was like, it's just going to be a few minutes now. I'll work through it and you're going to actually tell me what you did. When they, re- when they respond back with an echo, they're stalling and trying to figure out what they can say. They heard you the first time because they just repeated it verbatim. So what, so what, you, so I've shown, con- how have we shown contempt to you? Mm, okay. That's my personal insert, personal commentary into the scripture. You can throw that out if you like. Verse 7, you place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, (laughs) how have we defiled food? How have we defiled you? (sighs) By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. Listen Listen to how the Lord's table, listen to how they were saying that the Lord's table was contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, Ask the Lord Almighty. says the Lord Almighty? In other words, when we bring less than our best to the Lord, when we bring less than our best to the house of the Lord, aren't we treating him with contempt? Isn't that what you and I do? Not the priest anymore. Let's make this more personal. Isn't that what you and I do? We come in here and we've been, it's tired and we had a long week and I don't want to get in the habit of making this a ritual. Of coming together on Sundays and Wednesdays and Monday nights or whatever it is. Hey, if we join, if we got together every day of every week for all time, don't let it become a ritual where we start bringing less than our best to the house of the Lord. Don't allow that from yourself to bring less than your best every time to the Lord. Now, I'm going to say this. Sometimes my best is not that great. But in my heart, I don't want to bring Jesus a defiled, a flawed offering and go, here you go, boss. There you go. Hope you like it. It's blind. It lacks vision. It lacks hearing. It lacks purpose. But here you go. If I start giving him things that don't cost me everything, I am defiling what he's told me to do. I'm defiling it. I'm saying what I think about him by the offering that I bring. Verse 9, Now implore God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Verse 10, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors. What? Shut the front door. So that you would not... I probably should have kept that as an inside thought. So that, so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. Useless fires. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. You know, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people who don't end up finishing this thing out. I know that there are denominations and doctrines that say that that maybe they do finish it out and we just don't know and they'll lose their reward. Okay. I don't know anyone who's genuinely saved who ever starts out and says, you know what, I hope I fail. But they do. There are people who are much smarter, much more equipped, much more godly than me at the start of this race, and they're not in the race. It makes me weep it breaks my heart. I don't say that in a condemning way towards all them. I'm saying, Lord, don't let me be that. Don't let me be the one who can bring you unacceptable offerings, and over time, you'll just say, I don't even want any of it. Keep your offering. Had an an interesting conversation with somebody that I had to remove from a certain position the other day. Had to fire somebody. And at the end of this conversation, I just told him, all right, we're done. We'll go ahead and finish this up. And I fired the guy. And he wanted to tell me almost immediately thereafter. Well, we're going to step out in faith. And I went, stop. I stopped him in mid-sentence and said, don't tell me what you're going to tell me right now and make it sound like it's God that just spoke to you. I just fired you. You can tell me what you want to do. God could have (laughs) spoken. We were trying to speak to you before and let you be corrected in your actions because you're bringing unacceptable, I didn't say it this way, but he's bringing unacceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Don't now tell me how religious you are. We're done. You can tell me whatever you want, but don't put a a God just told me spin on it because it's not true. It's not an acceptable offering. Interesting conversation to have with people, right? verse 11 my name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun In every place incense and pure offerings everybody say pure offerings. pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations says the lord almighty it's almost like he's wanting you to get that right if he says it, if he's saying it two times in the same verse my name will be great our job is to make sure that his name it is great and we want to reflect his greatness don't bring him tainted offerings Don't come in here during worship and lift your hands and have something against somebody. Don't come in here and have a bad attitude in your heart and expect God to be pleased with that over time. He's gracious. He is merciful, yes, and He's holy, and His name will be great from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same. Don't mistake His grace and mercy and not striking you in that moment with the fact that it's okay to continue in your steps. He is full of mercy. And there is a point where he just won't accept our offerings anymore. Verse 12, But you profane it by saying that the Lord's table, it is defiled, and of its food it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord. To me, I see this as more attitudes of the heart as well as words that came out. When you sniff at something contemptuously, if you come to church and you feel like it's a burden, I would read Malachi 1.13 and see if that's not your heart's attitude. What a burden. What a burden. Huh. Why does it always require so much? Because it does. It requires your all. Anything less than your best, it's not acceptable. We're going to wrap it up with a string of scriptures. For those of you who have been in our class, we're going to read five scriptures and be done. We've been taught in our class that we should find something from what? The Law, the Prophets, the Writings, and the New Testament to give you an idea that the entire Bible says this. So I'm just going to string some pearls here for you really quickly. Y'all with me? Five scriptures, and then we're going to worship the Lord. Leviticus chapter 22. As much as I want this to be an encouragement today, I want this to be a challenge to us as well. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 22 and verse 20. Do not bring anything with a defect because it will not be acceptable on your behalf. First Samuel chapter 15. First Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. Psalms chapter 51. I so want to comment on this, but we're going to wrap it up. We're just going to read the scripture and let the scripture do what it do. Psalms chapter 51, verse uh, 16. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. Micah, chapter 6. Go ahead, and you can put it up on the screen. 6 through 8. Micah chapter 6, verses verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? One of my favorite short passages in the Bible. To act justly, To love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Mark chapter 12. Well, I got excited and didn't write down the verse. (laughs) Well, what's that? 21? 41. Sure, let's do 41. No, that wasn't it. (coughs) Yeah, verse 29. There it is. Sorry about that. The most important one. Answered the Lord Jesus is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no, great, there is no commandment greater than these. Well said, the te- well said, teacher, the man replied, You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other before him. To love him with all of your heart, with all of your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw this, that he had answered wisely, he said to them, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.